welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Bernie, and what a week. Clearly the most significant week of the Trump presidency. Uh, tonight on my commute home from work, my entire Twitter timeline was on edge. Everyone was waiting for the next huge story to drop, because that's what it's felt like this week. Every single day has had at least one gigantic story, the, the kind of thing that would leave any other presidency in tatters. It would trigger mass firings and resignations from the White House. But this isn't a normal White House. This is not normal. No one has quit the White House out of disgust for being forced to defend lies day after day. No one has been fired for the constant mixed messages and bungled rollouts. It's been such a bad week for Trump that, that serious impeachment is making its way into the conversation. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But what's amazing about all these stories that have come out this week is they're all related. Even the president himself sees the dots being connected. As he tweeted Thursday morning, This is the single greatest witch hunt of a politician in American history. That's right, folks. The biggest witch hunt in history. Everyone is lining up against him. The deep state, the mainstream media, the Democrats, the Illuminati, the Bilderbergs, James Comey, and most frightening of all for Trump, podcasters, the most powerful force in America today. We're all spending our days writing up fake news stories and leaking them to the complicit media, desperate to undo President Trump because we are terrified he will use his amazing brain and terrific personality and superb negotiation skills to make America great again. And we hate America. We want it to be bad, just like Obama made it. And our plan is working. Because Trump had the worst week of his life. And rather than go through all of it story by story like I, I usually would, I want to provide a, a more holistic picture. Uh, so I'm going to go through the big stories that hit this week and talk about how they're all connected and, and what we know and, and don't know at this point and what I think might be coming next. So let's get started. It all starts, of course, with the big story from last week's episode, Trump firing FBI Director James Comey. The White House claimed it started with a letter from the Deputy Attorney General, and of course, Trump contradicted that. He had been planning to fire him all along. And the White House claimed it was because Comey had botched the Clinton investigation, and then Trump contradicted that. He told Lester Holt that it was because of the Russia investigation. So that's where we were when this week started. Then it turns out the day after he fired Comey, when he met with Russia's foreign minister and ambassador, I like to call them the two Sergeys, Trump revealed classified information about how we learned of an ISIS plot to get laptop bombs onto planes. Now, technically, this is legal, not the, the laptop bombs. That, that's still illegal. But Trump releasing the information. Trump is president. He can reveal whatever classified information he wants. But that doesn't mean it isn't colossally stupid. Apparently, what he told the Russians was enough for them to figure out how and where we got that information, or at least someone was worried enough about that to tip off the NSA and the CIA to let them know about the security breach. Uh, it's been reported that the source is an Israeli asset embedded into ISIS. So Trump's disclosure could put the life of that asset at risk, not to mention ending one of our most valuable sources of information about the terrorists. I don't know, maybe it's all part of his secret plan to destroy ISIS. But more likely, it was just straight stupidity. R reports said he bragged, I get the best intel to his Russian friends, which is silly and stupid and classic Donald Trump. I think, honestly, he just wanted to impress them. 
and he doesn't pay close enough attention during his briefings not to know any better. So he had to send out his national security advisor, H.R. McMaster, to issue a very carefully worded denial, which Trump then contradicted the next day. And McMaster had to go back out in front of the press and say what Trump said was wholly appropriate about 5,000 times, which was contradicted by all the reporting, which said this was a disaster and that Israel was furious. And folks, that's a presidency-ending story, if the presidency itself is normal. But this is Donald Trump, and a few days later, we're barely even talking about this story because so much shit has come up after it. The next earth-shattering story was a return to the Comey firing. Comey, being an experienced D.C. hand, took extensive notes of his conversations with the president that he didn't trust. And in one of those conversations, Trump said, uh, according to the New York Times, May 16th, and of course, as always, you can find a link to that story and all the stories I talk about today on our website. That's thetrumpscorecard.org. Trump said, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He is a good guy. I hope you can let this go. Okay, first of all, Michael Flynn is not a good guy. He is a very shitty guy. Let's not forget. Lock her up, lock her up. You guys are good. Damn right. You're exactly right. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a shitty human being. But more important, telling Comey to drop his investigation of his national security advisor may constitute obstruction of justice, especially since Comey continued to investigate Flynn and then Trump fired him. That is an astounding abuse of power. And once again, there was an official denial, followed by a great excuse, Trump was just kidding, followed again by a denial. Here's what Trump said Thursday. Did you at any time urge former FBI Director James Comey in any way, shape, or form to close or to back down the investigation into Michael Flynn? And also, as you look no. back... No. Next question. I have a feeling he's going to regret that one, especially since there were more revelations about Flynn. We knew he lobbied for Turkey, was paid about a half million dollars to do so. But we learned this week he delayed a military plan against ISIS that Turkey opposed. This is one of those things where you can't prove whether it was correlation or causation. We don't know that he opposed this plan because he was being paid by Turkey. But this is exactly why you don't hire a national security advisor who lobbies for foreign governments. Because you can't trust his advice isn't based on the interests of the country that paid him. We'll get back to Michael Flynn, but first there was another huge development. Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general who wrote the letter that gave Trump justification to fire Comey, he made a makeup call and finally, finally appointed a special prosecutor to investigate Trump's Russia ties. Uh, he appointed former FBI director Robert Mueller, who has an excellent reputation as being very nonpartisan, very serious, very thorough. So this is going to be a long investigation into this matter. And man, Trump was pissed. With all the illegal acts that took place in the Clinton campaign and Obama administration. There is never a special counsel appointed. He had to tweet that one twice because he misspelled counsel the first time. It's okay. He's just the president of the United States. It's fine. Later, he went on to say even more about how terrible it was that there was a special counsel. He said, I believe it hurts our country terribly because it shows we're a divided, mixed up, not unified country. First of all, I'm I'm very sad that we're divided, mixed up, and not unified. I mean, 
God forbid we disagree on stuff. Maybe Trump could like pass a law that we all have to agree with him all the time. That seems like a, a Donald Trump thing to do. But here's the thing. It doesn't hurt our country terribly to have the president investigated and held accountable. And boy, does he need to be held accountable because a lot more came out about this investigation. For example, you know how Donald Trump keeps denying that his campaign had any contact with Russia? Well, Reuters found 18 instances of contact between the campaign and Russia. Some of them we already knew about, but most of them are new. And there may be nothing illegal at all in these conversations. But it sure as hell ain't normal to have that much contact between a campaign for president and a foreign adversary. A lot of these contacts involve Flynn, of course. He's at the center of all these investigations, isn't he? He was being investigated before, during, and after the transition. Sally Yates had to go to the White House and tell them Flynn was compromised, and they still didn't fire him until it became public. And on top of that, this is huge story number six, if you're keeping count, the transition knew Flynn was under investigation for his ties to Turkey before naming him national security advisor. I'll say that again. They knew he was under investigation. They knew it because Flynn told them, and they made him national security advisor anyway. National security advisor. Now, if you're like me, you're probably wondering why the hell anyone, even someone as dumb as Donald Trump, would do something like that. And there were a couple more stories this week that, that shed some light on this. First, Yahoo News. Do you remember Yahoo? It was good times. Yahoo News reported that Trump is still in contact with Flynn and even told Flynn to stay strong, which in the context of an ongoing criminal investigation sounds a lot like keep your mouth shut, but, but who knows? And then the Daily Beast reported Trump feels so bad about firing Flynn that he's hoping to bring him back to the White House when all this is cleared up, which is literally the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my life. What is the pull Michael Flynn has over Trump? Trump is famously disloyal to people who are no longer useful to him, but he's comforting Mike Flynn and hoping to bring him back to the White House? What does Flynn know? I, I hope we get to find out. So that's not everything crazy that happened this week, but it's definitely the highlights. And it's hard to take it all in. There are a lot of allegations and machinations going on among all these stories. But if you take a step back, you really can see that it's all one big story. Here's what we know. Trump asked his FBI director to stop investigating Michael Flynn over his contacts with Russia as well as lobbying for Turkey. Comey didn't. And then Trump fired Comey. A special prosecutor is now taking over the investigation, and Trump is pissed about that. Clearly does not want an independent look into his campaign's ties with Russia, which were, apparently, extensive. And he is tremendously and uncharacteristically defensive of Michael Flynn. And he's close enough with Russian officials to be careless with classified information around them. Lock her up! Lock her up! That paints a pretty compelling picture, doesn't it? I want to be clear here because I think it's important not to go too far and make assumptions that aren't backed up by the facts. It is 100% possible that there was no collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia in its interference in the election. But collusion is actually a pretty high standard, and there is a lot of wrongdoing that falls short of collusion on that interference. What is clear is that the Trump campaign had a relationship with Russia, which was inappropriate to have with an adversary. It's clear that Trump trusts Russian officials in a way that is damaging to American security. And it's clear that Trump 
doesn't want his ties to Russia investigated and is willing to obstruct justice to stop it. Look, every week I talk about all the dumb and evil and thoughtless shit this president does. There are hundreds of reasons why this guy should be nowhere near the White House. But this, this is number one. His relationship with Russia should make every single American nervous. And it should be the end of his presidency. Will it? I don't know. Trump is a survivor. Think about how many things he survived during the campaign. Calling Mexicans rapists. I like soldiers who weren't captured. Making fun of, of Serge Kovaleski's disability. The cons. Alicia Machado. The pussy-grabbing tape. He survived all of it. He won. There's a good chance he'll survive this. People are talking about impeachment, but I'm not holding my breath. Look at how craven and cowardly the Republican Party has become. They will defend just about anything he does. Sure, a few senators or representatives will express concern, but when it comes to action, nothing. Will any GOP senators vote against Trump's pick for FBI director since he fired the last one for investigating him? And do you really believe Paul Ryan will suddenly gain the moxie to start impeachment proceedings against the president of his own party? What possible evidence would lead you to believe that's likely? You want Trump out? Work your ass off to elect Democrats in 2018. I don't know even then if impeachment will happen, but at least it gives us a fighting shot. So, there you have it. The greatest witch hunt in political history. Although if you take a moment to think about it, you have this extremely dumb, unqualified guy who managed to win an election for President of the United States against all odds. I mean, if he is a witch, kind of explains a lot. Believe it or not, that's not everything that happened this week, but it, it was a lot, and I still have an important interview to get to. So let's wrap up some of the other big stories this week in, in quick hits. Quick hits! During the campaign, Donald Trump promised to drain the swamp. Let's check in on how that's going. This is from the Washington Post on May 14th. The Trump administration has removed or tucked away a wide variety of information that until recently was provided to the public, limiting access, for instance, to disclosures about workplace violations, energy efficiency, and animal welfare abuses. So these are all sources of information journalists and activists use to hold corporate baddies accountable for all the bad things they do. We're not talking about unfair or burdensome regulations here. We're talking about the government hiding information about misdeeds so consumers don't know about them. So if a company violates worker safety rules or mistreats animals, you can't find out about it. And if you care about those things and want to make informed choices on what you buy, you're out of luck. In other words, once again, the Trump administration is putting corporate interests ahead of ordinary people. Exactly the opposite of what he said he'd do. Quick hits! Today, the, the president is launching a big foreign trip that he hopes can turn things around for his administration, which it definitely won't, because he's terrible and will embarrass himself repeatedly. And an important part of this trip is a speech on Islam he's giving in Saudi Arabia, which makes you wonder, what the hell does Donald Trump have to say about Islam that anyone needs to hear? Oh, but it gets worse. Apparently, Stephen Miller is writing the speech. You remember Stephen Miller, right? He's like the creepy little Steve Bannon mini-me. And yeah, he's racist. He's the architect of the Muslim ban. He ran a virulently anti-Islam organization in college. And he's writing a speech to Muslims about their own religion. I have the feeling we're going to be revisiting this speech on next week's episode. Quick hits! Trump will also be visiting Israel on that trip. 
And he originally was going to give a speech at Masada, the ancient fortress. Uh, Other presidents have visited there. But they don't let people land helicopters directly on the site, for pretty obvious reasons. You have to land your helicopter a little ways away and take a cable car up. But apparently, our president is too delicate for a cable car. So they move the speech to the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. He's also visiting Israel's Holocaust Museum, which sounds nice, especially given this administration's, let's say, awkward record with Jews in the Holocaust. And so the president can fully experience the the deep tragedy of millions of deaths. He has allotted a full 15 minutes on his schedule for the Holocaust Museum. I mean, we wouldn't want him to get bored, would we? Quick hits! Politico had a fascinating story on May 15th. Uh, It said, Deputy National Security Advisor uh, KT McFarland, who was hired under Flynn, slipped the president a story that compared two time covers, one from the 1970s, that warned against a coming ice age, and a more current one that warned against global warming. The only problem, the first one was a fake. It's a a hoax that's been around forever and and long since debunked. White House staff had to scramble to make sure they let the president know it was fake before he tweeted about it. And it reminded me of the time he claimed he had the biggest electoral college victory since Reagan. And when a reporter pointed out he was wrong, he said, well, that information was given to me. So here we have two examples where people gave the President of the United States wrong information. Which leads to the question, are there any consequences in this White House for passing him bad information? You'd think that's a big deal, but there don't seem to be any consequences. And it also hasn't led Trump thinking for even a moment that maybe he needs to reconsider his sources of information or even his own judgment when it comes to determining what's true and what isn't. Maybe the guy who spent years questioning Barack Obama's birth certificate should think on that. Quick hits. Trump is apparently going to pick his buddy Sam Clovis to be the undersecretary of the Department of Agriculture for Research, and that's a job that, according to the Farm Bill of 2008, is supposed to serve as the department's chief scientist. The Department of Agriculture does a, a lot of science. Only problem, Clovis isn't a scientist. He's a talk radio host. Quick hits. Finally, honestly, this was just weird. Trump spoke to a group of law enforcement officers, and he said he was proving how much he loved them by not wearing a hat. And then he pulled out the hat that he had uh, as a white hat, said USA on the front and 45 on the side. And he tossed it to a kid in the audience who was there because his father died in the line of duty. And from Trump, that was supposed to be an act of kindness. And I honestly hope the kid saw it that way. I really do. But man, it comes off as disrespectful and shallow and self-aggrandizing. You can judge for yourself. Uh, The video is up on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. I've talked a lot on this podcast about Jeff Sessions, how awful he is, all the damage he's doing. Turns out I'm not the only one who feels that way. I think, honestly, he's the most dangerous part of the Trump administration as far as, like, I'm been obviously as a member of Cato, we can't endorse or or oppose anyone, but he was the one I had very strong um, feelings that he was going to do bad things and he seems to be following up on all those fears. That's Jonathan Blanks. He's the managing editor of policemisconduct.net and a research associate at the Cato Institute. You heard that right. I interviewed someone from Cato. Get over it, you liberal snowflakes. This isn't your safe space. The reason I wanted to talk to Jonathan this week is because of something especially awful Sessions did. I'll let him tell you about it. What Jeff Sessions did was uh, rescinded a memo from the Obama administration that said 
that each case, that each federal case should be charged on its merits, taken everything into account, and no longer under the previous administration's uh, guidelines that charging the max on every federal crime that you can to get the most basically bang for your buck whenever you charge someone. So basically this is sort of reverting back to the John Ashcroft days where uh, basically if you get charged with a federal crime there, the uh, federal prosecutors are incentivized to throw the book at you. Everything that they can charge you with, do it if you can prove it. And so this ends up in much longer sentences and uh, becomes overly punitive. So instead of giving federal prosecutors the leeway not to send someone to jail for years and years for a nonviolent drug offense, Sessions is insisting they charge everyone with the maximum possible crime with a maximum possible sentence. Why? Because, well, he's an asshole. Well, his, part- his particular justification was he thinks it's a moral and just thing to do because he's certainly what one would call a law and order conservative, where he thinks that you know, there is crime and then there is punishment. And he's very much on that punishment angle. Rehabilitation really doesn't fall fall into his calculus. He's not really interested in finding alternatives to incarceration. He he just basically wants to punish for for punishment's sake. This isn't new for Sessions. It goes back to his days as a senator. As far as the attorney general is concerned, he was one of the obstacles in the Senate when he was there to try and get sentence reductions. Remember years ago when we tried to eliminate the crack powder disparity where the same amount of crack versus powder was 100 to 1, where you'd get 5 grams of crack cocaine was the same as 500 grams of powder cocaine, which is just absurd when you think about all of our drug laws are weight-based. So Jeff Sessions was the senator who said, no, 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 we are we still need to have some sort of disparity here, which is not backed up by science, is not backed up by anything involved criminal activity, and said we have to keep that ratio at 18 to 1. So it was considered a victory, so we got it narrowed down from 100 100 to 18, but he's always been that punishment for punishment's sake, hates, you know, vilifies drug users and drug dealers, and just basically throws the book at anything. And it probably goes without saying, but this is just bad policy. The idea behind mandatory minimum sentences and, and, and larger uh, sentences to begin with was supposed to be, you know, catching the cartels, ca- catching the big fish. And what happens is mo- more often than not, you're just going to catch, you know, drug mules or people who are just like, you know, low level street dealing, but not, um, you know, they're not running massive criminal syndicates. Right. Uh, but the justification for still charging them that high is the idea that they would uh, be more likely to cooperate and get more people in, get it, you know, finding the drug networks to see, you know, who, who was their supplier and where did they get it and that sort of thing. But uh, the statistics that uh, now former Attorney General Holder references all the time says, look, we still got the cooperation from suspects after we dropped those mandatory minimum charges. There was no, there was no statistically significant uh, drop in cooperation. So it, the idea that, you know, changing the, like, the high end of these sentences is going to change defendants' behavior greatly isn't borne out by the stats. Um, I haven't been able to look over the stats personally, but from what I understand, um, the Holder memo dropped dramatically the number of people charged with mandatory minimum sentences. Uh, It uh, lowered the number of people uh, incarcerated in the federal federal, uh, penitentiaries. Uh, I wish I had the stats for you, but um, unfortunately I haven't been able to get my hands on them today. Well, guess what? He got the stats. We had a follow-up call. Basically, the federal number of drug offenders sentenced is down, in 2016, was down 20% from 20, 
2010 and 15% from 2013. The, the number of federal offenders dropped in 2010 from 83,946 to 67,642, which is in 2016, which is a 20% decline. So I, it, this is pretty big. I mean, it's uh, obviously when you think of like the, you know, million, the couple million people we have incarcerated, it's not going to really uh, tear into that. But it's still this change in federal policy is probably going to be pretty big. So, yes, Jeff Sessions wants to refill our federal prisons with nonviolent drug offenders, the ones who are best off being redirected to alternatives like rehab or community service. Why? Because Jeff Sessions hates marijuana, like a weird amount. The, the thing about him getting bounced from the uh, from his federal judgeship in the 80s, you know, he was deemed, I mean, to paraphrase other people, you know, he's deemed too racist for the Senate in the 1980s to be a federal judge. And uh, the the fact that what he had said that, that prompted that sort of response was that he thought the guys in the Klan were okay, but until he found out they smoked marijuana. Now he can say that it's a joke or, or whatever, anything about that, but it's just a really bad look. But if you, you know, you hate weed more than you hate racist terrorists, I mean, I, I don't find that funny. Jonathan works on criminal justice reform, and it's an issue that has gotten a lot of bipartisan support and attention over the last couple of years. It's been slow moving, but organizations as ideologically different as the ACLU and the Heritage Foundation have worked together on it. But with sessions at DOJ, that effort is probably over for now, at least in Washington. But there is still hope. I think it's important to realize that because of the situation now, even though federal reform looked like it could happen during the last administration, that's not foreseeable. I mean, I don't see anything really moving at the federal level meaningfully that's going to lower the federal population. But that doesn't mean that states can't, uh, can't, can't continue to move reform. And the thing is, the Republican states have been making small improvements on lowering their, their intakes, you know, finding alternatives to incarceration, particularly for low-level drug offenses. And I think focusing more on states and localities and how they can make reforms like changing, like getting rid of punitive DAs as we saw in like Chicago, and there's I think an election in Philadelphia as we're taping this. Um, And I hope hopefully, you know, that's where we can see more reform because most people in the criminal justice system are at the state and local level. So if, so long as the, the states don't follow the federal lead and revert back to these old policies, we can still see uh, improvements, you know, on the state and local level. But federal, I don't think, so long as Jeff Sessions isn't there, we're not going to see much of anything. Jonathan mentioned the the Philly election, and a very progressive candidate, Larry Krasner, won the Democratic primary for district attorney, which means he basically won the race. And that's how reform is going to happen, electing progressive office holders on every level, from DA all the way up through Congress, who care about criminal justice reform. And it's one issue where we might be able to get some help from Republicans, too. Just not from Jeff Sessions. He's garbage. Finally, Trump gave his first commencement address to a U.S. military academy this week, speaking to the graduates of the Coast Guard Academy. And he left them with this sage life advice. No politician in history, and I say this with great surety, has been treated worse or more unfairly. Wise words I'm sure the graduates will take with them as they go off to risk their lives protecting our coasts and rescuing people in grave danger. And I say that with great surety. 
I want to thank Jonathan Blanks for coming on and talking about what a garbage human being Jeff Sessions is. Uh, Jonathan and I have talked about some other stuff that I couldn't get into the podcast. So go to our Facebook page to check that out. It's at facebook.com slash the Trump scorecard. You can also find me on Twitter at Jesse Bernie. And of course, I'd love to hear from you over email. So send me a message at the Trump scorecard at gmail.com. If I did a tenth, a tenth of what she did, I would be in jail today. The Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and remember, this is not normal. Normal.